Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown with me, your host, Ewan McTeer. And with this episode being rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157, this is our recap of Matchday 35, which we've known for weeks was going to be a big one. That's because the top four were squaring off amongst each other. It was Barcelona versus Atletico Madrid on Saturday and Real Madrid versus Sevilla on Sunday. And there were both draws. It was 0-0 at the Camp Nou for the first game, then Real Madrid twice came from behind to draw 2-2 against Sevilla. So nobody won. Nobody's really happy with those results. Atletico stay top, so arguably they're the happiest, but it could have been so much better for them had Real Madrid not got their late equaliser on Sunday night. So yeah, nobody's really happy with those results, as the top four is currently Atletico on 77 points, Real Madrid on 75, Barcelona on 75, and Sevilla on 71 We're going to break down those two fixtures in detail in part one of this episode. And we'll start with the game we had first, Barcelona versus Atletico. Barca fan Roman de Arquer joins me now to talk about it. And, well, it was a fun 0-0. Both sides had chances to score. Did either team deserve to win it more, Roman? I don't think there was a team that was way better than the other. But overall, I do think Atletico were the superior side. Um, They did have the better chances. I saw them. Uh, looking for the goal more often than Barcelona, to be honest, even though it should have been the other way around because of the situation in the standings. And I did think Atletico had the better chances uh, in attack, so for me, uh, if anybody deserved the win, it had to be them. Yeah, and what did you make of Diego Simeone's approach? Was he maybe a bit braver than many were expecting? Absolutely. I mean, Atletico de Madrid could have gone for the draw, especially if you take into account uh, that they haven't been great of late. And also if you um, keep in mind that Atletico de Madrid with Cholo Simeone haven't won at the Camp Nou in La Liga. So, of course, um, it would have made sense, you know, to go for a draw maybe and be more uh, protective at the back. But... Uh, Atletico were the better side, especially offensively. They seem to want the three points more than Barcelona, to be honest, at least in that first half, as I said. And uh, credit to Simeone, you know, for trying to get the win. And also in the second half, we saw like a substitution that wasn't maybe, I'd say, too usual from a manager like him, which was bringing out Saul and, and bringing in uh, Joao Felix in the, I think it was 67th minute or something like that, when they're still about 20 minutes to go and, and anything can happen, you know, and Barcelona were slightly better at that point that, than previously. So it was definitely a brave, even though he didn't take too long to bring Condog beyond, but still, I mean, it proved that uh, Simeone was going for that win. I thought Yannick Carrasco was particularly great for Atleti. He really exploited Oscar Mingueza in the first half, didn't he? 
I'm glad you mentioned him because for me he was the best player of that game, no doubt. I mean, especially in that first half, as he said, uh, Mingueza's side, he was doing a lot of damage. He he generated the best opportunities. I mean, thanks to him, Atletico were having some really good chances. He was very um, capable with the ball at his feet in that game. And also defensively, a lot of sacrifice from him. And in the second half, you could tell he was a bit more tired because all that work he'd put in and also Araujo... Uh, was was taking over for Mingueza and he he was a bit tougher we could say to get past but overall I think Arasco had a fantastic match. Both teams had an injury related substitution in the first half. Thomas Lamar off for Leti and Sergio Busquets for Barcelona. Which team was affected more by those force changes? Do you think? I think Barca were more affected uh, when Busquets wasn't available. You could tell something was missing in that midfield, and it's not the same to have uh, Frankie de Jong, Pedri, and, and Busquets than to have uh, Frankie de Jong, Pedri, and Ilaj. Uh, with all due respect, he's still a uh, great talent. He's still improving a lot, but Busquets just provides something extra in that midfield that we were uh, really needing. I think during that game. Uh, there wasn't as much control of the ball and of the tempo of the game overall. And also in those quick transitions, I think Busquets gives a plus, you know, because he's a very smart player, capable of tackling really well or of cutting uh, or stopping those those quick transitions I mentioned before. So I really felt that without Busquets, Barca were missing something and it was quite a pity he, he had to leave the game because he's been great in this end of the season. He's been possibly one of the best players for Barcelona, and not having him in such an important match uh, really affected us. Now, Luis Suarez was always going to be at the centre of attention. What did you think of his performance back at the camp, though? I thought he had a decent game. I mean, he had a lot of motives to want to shine in this one. First of all, it was his big return to the camp, no... Uh, after how he left last summer, he definitely had a point to prove in this match. And also, of course, Atletico de Madrid are fighting for the title, so a goal from him would have uh, been fantastic for them. But unfortunately, it didn't happen, although you could tell he was looking for it. He was very participative, you know, combining with his teammates. He had some uh, good chances and he was also asking for the ball, so he wanted to be a protagonist in this game. Uh, but unfortunately, in attack, Atletico didn't get maybe the prize they deserved and they had to go home with a draw. What was it like uh, as a Barca fan to see Suarez arguing with, with Ter Stegen, with Piquet at points during the match? It was definitely strange to see because, I mean, I've been used to seeing Suarez joking and laughing with, with Ter Stegen and Piquet and all his other teammates and, and to see him suddenly uh, fighting about something or complaining about something during a game was definitely a bit uh, awkward. Uh, but we all know how Suarez is, you know, he gives his 100% in every game, uh, no matter if you're uh, his ex-teammate, uh, if he's a family or whatever, Suarez is going to go 100% in every match. But then once the, the game is over, you know, it's going to be the hugs and the, and the jokes again, and if, as if nothing had happened, because, you know, Suarez is that kind of competitive beast uh, you want on your team. Okay, thanks, Roman. So that draw gave Real Madrid a great opportunity, because... They went into their Sunday night match against Sevilla knowing that if they were to win all four of their remaining games, they would be champions. But they had some struggles. Fernando, the La Liga player of the month for April, he put Sevilla ahead at a first half set piece. Substitute Marco Asensio equalised for Real Madrid and then a moment you couldn't make up happened. A potentially season-defining moment. Sevilla had a corner and the ball struck Edder Militao's hand. 
but the referee Juan Martinez Manuera didn't give anything. Play continued, then Benzema broke forward to win a clear penalty at the other end, then the referee was called over to the VAR monitor and you knew he had to give a penalty, you just didn't know to which team. Well, he gave it to Sevilla, considering the Militao handball to be clear enough. Even Rakitic, former Barcelona man, of course, he scored that penalty. But there was time for more drama. In the dying moments, a Tony Cruz shot deflected in off Eden Hazard for the 2-2 final score. There's so much to get stuck into, and we'll do that with our resident Real Madrid fan, Hassan Karim. Has, first off, can you describe for us your entire thought process during that whole penalty VAR sequence? I think it was more genuinely confusing at the time. There was just so much going on and so much to digest in such a short burst of time. I mean, you had obviously Madrid's call at one end, then you have Sevilla's call at the other end, and it was just very, very strange, very strange encounter. And the call itself, I mean, I can understand it, obviously, with the position of Militao's arms, totally get it, but at the same time, we've seen so many calls this season which have been ignored in those exact same positions. It's it's just a strange one. I mean, Zidane going over even to question the referee afterwards, which is something we never see, by the way, just shows that a lot of people were just very much not quite sure what was going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it is what it is at this stage, and it's just something that needs to be looked at, you know, going forward. Yeah, that's a good point about Zidane. He spoke to the ref after the game, and in his post-match press conference, he admitted... He was annoyed and, like you say, Hassi almost never does that. Anyway, it wasn't a loss, it was a draw. How much better is a draw than a defeat? I mean, I think a draw was a fair result, in all honesty, given how the game played out. I don't think anybody particularly stood out enough to win it. Um, And yeah, definitely, you know, the draw is definitely a better result than a loss. Absolutely, it keeps Madrid, you know, within reach of the title whilst it would have been nice to be in a driver's seat position you know top of the table and with the advantage because of the tiebreaker um it's 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 not the worst result it's certainly not the best I mean it just means now that you have to pick up nine points from nine in the final you know three games of the season so it's uh it's definitely not the worst but it's not quite ideal either to be honest it was Cruz who had the shot for the equaliser even if it went in of Hazard and I think they're going to give the goal to him but Chris was brilliant throughout whether the goal counts as his or not do you see him as one of the the leaders of Real Madrid right now? I don't even think it's a recent development Chris has long been kind of a silent leader in the team um you know how many times we see him literally dictating I mean Casemiro says it the best as he said it before Real Madrid play to the rhythm that Chris sets they dance to the beat of his drum he is literally the orchestrator of the entire game for Real, you know, whether people see it or not, and whether, you know, people really look into it just how important he is. Yeah, you know, there's other players that are very, very important, like you, Luka Madrid, like you, Casemiro, your defenders, um, you know, your forwards, but it's just there's something that really is so, whilst it's so simple, it's so, so, so important that Cruz plays a part of that team, um, and it's not replicated by anyone. Um, and I'm not talking about just in Madrid, but in general across Europe, how many players genuinely put up that kind of consistency to that higher level for such a long period of time? He's so underrated, it's unbelievable. Um, and he is very much so a cornerstone of that team. Um, 
I'd go as far to say is the most important cog in that midfield. Yeah, I agree with that. Even more so now, I think, because Cruz is the only member of that midfield who isn't absolutely knackered. So let's go back to Hazard now. He came on at the end. He sort of got the goal. How was his performance? Hazard was a strange one in this game because there were two instances that I can remember where he didn't quite get a hold of the ball and whether they were sloppy, whether they were just unlucky, it was one of those. But there was the one in the box where the ball kind of just glided past him. He didn't react fast enough. And I reckon had he gotten to the end of that, that could have resulted in quite a high quality chance. And there was a moment when the ball was going out towards the wide area and it goes to that for a throw-in instead. So a strange game from Hazard, but then, you know, intentionally or unintentionally then created... Well, I say created had a part in, um, in you know the biggest point of the game for Madrid, which was sealing the draw. Um, so it's a very strange performance. Not one that you know you can particularly point out and say, yeah, you know, he's redeemed himself because he hasn't. But he definitely was somewhat useful in a very weird way. What's been your take, Hass, on all the outrage directed towards Hazard this past week? The Hazard sort of backlash to this week has been um, some of it justified. I can completely understand some of it, you know. Turning up initially overweight, completely unacceptable. There's no excuses for it at all in any circumstance. The injuries, of course, have been completely unlucky. You know, you can't, you know, facilitate for those things. There's nothing you can do about it. It happens. It is what it is. Um, And, you know, in regards to playing in that game against Chelsea, yeah, he was pretty poor um, generally speaking but I mean he covered the more, most distance of anyone else on the field which I found an interesting stat and one that I kind of feel is quite wrong he shouldn't be the man that's doing that um, and then of course the cameras thing and the laughing afterwards um, it's the way I see it is it's, it's, it's kind of normal you know he was at Chelsea for you know a decade has a lot of history there you know, I, I can understand if he wanted to have a little laugh with his old mates, etc., etc. At the end of the day, these guys are human. But he should have probably held that into going back into the dressing room and doing that in private, as opposed to on the pitch where there are still countless cameras around who will be watching his every move as one of the biggest stars on, you know, on those teams. So, yeah, it was foolish. But I do think some of the backlash was a bit overdramatic. I mean, I think we all know what I'm talking about there, you know, with the dramatic intro to shows and saying, oh, he should never play for Madrid again, etc., etc. That's, it's it's not that bad. It's bad, but it's not that bad. It's not life or death. It's not, you know, like he, he spat on the crest exactly. Yeah, okay, it was pretty silly, but it wasn't exactly something he had premeditated and, you know, aimed to, you know, say, oh, you know, fingers to you guys I'm off sort of thing I want to do what I want um so I think it was a bit over the top but at the same time I can understand some of the frustration to a degree lastly then the big question who's winning La Liga well boy this is the million dollar question isn't it I mean in terms of the run-ins it's 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 tricky to predict I mean you know everyone's got their own respective games which are tricky you know They've got uh, La Real coming up, you know, Real Madrid have got their own games coming up with like Villarreal and insides like that. So, you know, there's, there's definitely still some banana skins for all three teams to a degree. Um, and, you know, still many narratives to come out of that, you know, 
with injuries and those kinds of things. So there's still so much. It feels like there's still so much football to play, even though we have very few games left. Um, but in terms of who's winning it, I just uh, I think it's just going to be one of those. It's rubber the green, and whoever manages to hold their bottle the most, you know, can let he hold it, you know, despite you know choking to some degree up until now, you know, giving up the big advantage they had. You know, it's in their hands right now, but there's still plenty that could go wrong for them. Um, same for Madrid and same for Barcelona. There's still plenty that can happen. Yeah, it feels like there'll be another twist or turn at some point. Okay then, thank you Hass. That's all we've got for part one of this match day recap. But don't go anywhere because we've got a lot more to discuss in part two. There's the relegation battle and also the fan protests that have been taking place at Valencia. So we'll be back with all of that in just a few ticks. back into this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We discussed the situation in the title race in part one. Now we're going to start part two by turning towards the relegation battle and we'll do so with our sore throat game of the week segment. This is the part in the show where we pick a game that had some great commentary clips and this week it's Alaves and Levante's back and forth 2-2 draw. Matt Clark is coming up then to break this one down. A crucial match at Mendy Floraza saw Alaves take on Levante. The hosts had suffered a humiliating 3-0 defeat at Eibar last time out, their first loss under Javi Calleja. Levante were on a woeful run, having lost their last four. It's certainly true that Alaves were in greater need of the points here though. Both teams started quite well, with Dani Gomez forcing a good save from the ever-impressive Fernando Pacheco. Alaves then took the lead when Robert Pierre failed to clear a cross, and Perepon smashed the ball in from inside the penalty area. It's his first goal of the season. As Cope declared, he took advantage of the opportunity which presented itself with a rhythmical idiom, Ave que vuela a la cazuela. But they didn't hold their lead for long. Jose Luis Morales, El Comandante, turned the game around in quick-fire fashion. Firstly, he guided a volley exquisitely into the top corner. It was so good, the ball got lodged in the top corner of the net, which made the goal all the more aesthetically pleasing, as you can gather from the excitable commentary team. Then, just six minutes later, he put Levante in front. After neat interplay between Danny Gomez and youngster Alejandro Cantero, Morales was slipped in and he calmly side-footed home. As the commentators warned, danger, danger, Levante were in full flow and playing with confidence. (laughs) 
El Comandante hadn't scored since February, but here he was with a brace before half-time to get Levante back in the groove. He's up to 12 La Liga goals for the season, which he calls his personal best. A big half-time team talk was needed from Calleja, and to be fair, they came out on the front foot in the second half. He made some attacking changes, bringing on Lucas Perez and Facundo Pellestri, but they couldn't find that all-important leveller. Alaves hadn't lost a home game in which they'd taken the lead for over four and a half years, and with points desperately needed, they managed to secure a late draw through Jose Lu. Birthday boy Davison made a positive impact off the bench and crossed for Jose Lu to head in the equaliser on 86 minutes. Danny Cardenas parried the ball away, but VAR confirmed that it did cross the line. You can listen to the drama as it unfolded on La Liga TV here. He does so again now. Davison's going to cross this one in. Headed down, it's parried away by Cardenas, but it might have gone across the line. This one will be looked at. It's potentially an equaliser for Alaves in the second half. Well, there's no doubt that that goes across the line. The entire circumference of the ball entering the net. Ozilu gets the goal. It's Alaves 2, Levante 2. With nine added minutes, Alaves nearly found a winner but Cardenas smothered Hosselu's attempt and they had to settle for the point. They now travel to Elche on Tuesday night, which looks absolutely enormous for both clubs. With Abar's revival, all three relegation spots are still very much open, with six clubs nervously seeking salvation. Okay, thanks Matt. Yeah, so the relegation battle is getting even tenser and even tighter. As Matt says there, there are six clubs in the mix from 15th place to Taffy down to bottom place to Ibar, who earned a huge 1-0 victory at Hitafi this weekend thanks to a late penalty. That result bunched up the relegation group even more, so let me just quickly read out the order of the standings at the bottom then. It's Hitafi in 15th on 34 points, Alaves in 16th on 32, Real Valladolid in 17th on 31, Huesca in 18th on 30, Elche in 19th on 30, and Eibar in 20th on 29 points. Many of these teams had a bad weekend. Apart from Eibar and Alaves who got a win and a draw, everyone else in that bottom six lost. Real Valladolid went to Valencia and lost 3-0, Huesca went to Cadiz and lost 2-1, and Elche went to Real Sociedad and lost 2-0. So it was a great weekend for Eibar in particular. Cadiz mathematically secured their spot in the top tier for next season with their win, over Huesca and Osasuna are safe as well. They drew 2-2 in a back and forth clash with Athletic Club at San Mames. Athletic, by the way, have just been so weird of late. They've beaten title challengers Atletico Madrid and Sevilla in the past month, but then drawn with the likes of Real Valladolid and Osasuna. They're so hard to work out. Let's bring in our man in Valencia, Paco Pollock now, because it was a big week at Mestalla. This week they sacked Javi Gracia, there were fan protests against the owners, and then they won 3-0 against Real Valladolid with Voro as the caretaker coach. So we've got a lot to talk about Paco, let's focus on the actual football first, it was a big win that against Real Valladolid. Like we've seen on other occasions after Voro has taken over the team, how does he do it? He didn't actually change that much against Valladolid. Kangin Lee's starting was surprising, playing with three at the back was 
a bit less surprising because we saw it last week under Javi Gracia, but overall Boro showed it really wasn't rocket science, just lining up the guys most in form or at least those who have the most quality to boot. Maxi Gomez finally scored 125 days later and broke a long drought without doing so and things were much easier after his brace. So the bottom line is Boro just brings common sense to the table and favors soothing the squad and injecting them some much needed confidence. If you see it this way, it's actually not that difficult to do. So, well done Boro, but he doesn't want to become the permanent coach, right? Absolutely not. He, he doesn't want to be the permanent coach. He knows where his limits are. His role has always been the club's caretaker when the situation went south, but he has never shown any interest in becoming the full-fledged manager. Possibly because he knows that such a move wouldn't work as well with the locker room. They would perceive him in a very different way. It's not the same being the guy in charge, being the coach, that being the guy who comes in, settles the mood into a better workplace, does his job and then goes back to being an executive in the club, which by the way is Boros' actual job since 2017 after he was promoted from being the first team delegate to being the team manager whenever Valencia travel away from home. So what were your thoughts on Javi Gracia being sacked? Was it a necessary decision? Actually, Javi Gracia should have been sacked a long time ago, not because he did a bad job, but because the results were awful. But again, possibly that was exactly his desire since he took the decision to resign back in October and Valencia's board didn't let him under threat of having to pay a huge penalty fee. Meriton took this issue on a personal level and they had many, many chances to sack him throughout the season because the results were incredibly bad. One of the worst runs since Valencia were relegated in 1986. And yet the board resisted the urge to sack him possibly realizing that the way they had planned the season and the squad they built were incredibly lackluster and not good enough to compete. While Javi Gracia was here, while he was in the dugout, he was an easy target for the fans. But finally making the move to sack him has exposed themselves even more to criticism, something that we actually could witness firsthand this weekend. Exactly. There have been fan protests against Meriton this weekend. You've been covering it in depth, Paco, so tell us all about it. You know, long story short, it's been almost like the perfect storm. Um, the number of disgruntled fans has kept getting bigger and bigger since September 2019 when, remember, Marcelino and Matteo Alemán were sacked. The following month, President Anil Murti told the fans to shut up from his chair in the executive lounge, infuriating the whole stadium. Later, the fire sale in summer 2020, Parejo leaving, Coquelin being sold, Ferran Torres being sold, also Rodrigo Moreno being sold to Leeds, this added more fuel to the fire. And the 2021 season, one of the worst in Valencia's history and definitely the most disappointing one in the current century, was the last straw. Fans have organized themselves in opposition groups trying to pull together shares in order to challenge Peter Lim's decision-making as the largest shareholder. And when anger was reaching peak levels and a parade had been organized on Saturday, only 24 hours earlier, a report on the Financial Times included quotes from Peter Lim himself showing contempt for fan criticism with statements such as This is something quite nice, I wake up, 
I own a football club and I see what happens next. It's nothing more. Really, that's what he said. And you can imagine how furious fans were and their results were seen the following day. Over 6,000 fans flooding the streets of Valencia to tell Peter Lim to sell his shares and leave the club. It seems unlikely that such a thing will happen soon, but the snowball has begun rolling downhill and we can expect these protests to just keep getting bigger and bigger as Peter Lim seems to have no intention to change his style of management, which, in my view, will ultimately put Valencia in the ground. Thanks, Paco, for giving us the lowdown on Valencia. There's just one fixture I've yet to mention from this weekend then, and it's the one that had the most goals. On Sunday evening, we got a very fun Villarreal versus Celta Vigo game. It finished 4-2 to Celta Vigo. This game had no Iago Aspas because he's still not fully recovered from injury, but this game had everything else. Goals, red cards, penalties. It was brilliant and really, you've got to go and watch it. If you look up just one set of highlights this weekend, make it this game. It was a lot of fun and it was important too because Celta Vigo still have a chance of qualifying for Europe and Europa League finalists, Villarreal, congratulations to them by the way, they're still not sure if they'll be in Europe next season. It's still not certain. So things will soon become clearer in that race and in all areas of the La Liga table. We have a midweek round this week to tuck into what should be a lot of fun. And of course, that means we'll have a midweek matchday recap coming your way as well. That'll be coming out on Friday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. So I'll speak to you then. For now, thanks to Rom Dacare, Hassan Karim, Matt Clark and Paco Pollitt for their contributions to this episode and thank you for listening. Take it easy and we'll be back soon. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon.